Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's time to ask the question, who's the bosk? This is the podcast you're looking for. Who is this bosk character? I fear him. Who is the bosk? Hello and welcome to Who's the Boss? It's a Star Wars podcast from LaughingPlace.com. My name is Mike Celestino. I am your host. I am the lead Southern California reporter and editorial director for Star Wars content at Laughing Place. This is episode number 114 of Who's the Boss? And it is mostly going to be an interview that I did with author Beth Revis, who has written the new novel, Star Wars, The Princess and the Scoundrel, which I have read and reviewed and quite enjoyed. And I was thrilled to speak with Miss Beth Revis about the book and her writing process and how she got involved with Star Wars and growing up on Star Wars and stuff like that. But first, let's dive into some Star Wars headlines for the week real quick. The biggest news coming out of a galaxy far, far away is that Star Wars Andor, the live-action TV series headed to Disney+, Plus, has been delayed by a few weeks, but I believe that's because they are showing the first three episodes when it premieres on Wednesday, September 21st. Uh, I have plenty to say about Andor, but it's one of those things where there's a media embargo, so... Come mid to you know mid September or so, or when this gets released, there will be plenty of Andor discussion on this podcast for sure. So you can look forward to that. But for now, there is a new trailer that premiered on Good Morning America that's very very cool looking, and some new images that came out of the Television Critics Association. Uh, I'm I'm psyched for this show. I know a lot of people are psyched for this show, so can't wait for Star Wars. Andor on Disney Plus. In addition to that, there are some new Lightsaber Academy videos on the Star Wars YouTube channel, or I think this is actually the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, and these are just uh, videos that kids can watch to learn how to uh, fight or defend themselves, I suppose, with a lightsaber. And I, I watched some of this stuff, I clicked around, kind of browsed through these videos, and it reminded me quite a bit of the Lightsaber Training Academy that you would see at Disney Park. So uh, if you want kind of an at-home version of that, if your kid has a lightsaber toy that they want to learn how to wield and use the Jedi way, go and check out these Lightsaber Academy videos. There was a new comic book review that I wrote on LaughingPlace.com called Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Halcyon Legacy kind of ties in with the book that we're going to be talking about in a little bit. So this is the final issue of the Halcyon Legacy miniseries that takes place on the Halcyon Star Cruiser from Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Experience at Walt Disney World. And I enjoyed this series. It's definitely targeted more at younger audiences. And then I would say it's also targeted at families who have been on the Galactic Star Cruiser or are going to be on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Like, you could pick this up. Once they've released the five issues in a collected trade paperback form, you can go and pick this up and read it in advance of your trip to prepare for kind of what's, what the adventure might be like. The story does take place before uh, guests board the Galactic Star Cruiser at Walt Disney World, but you do meet some characters that you will encounter, like Captain Keevan and cruise director Linka Mock, and the droid that you interact with in your cabin named D309. 
And uh, you also, you know, it's also a good thing to read if you miss the Galact- if you've already done the Galactic Star Cruiser and you just kind of miss it and want to go back and revisit the ship, revisit some of those characters. And there's a bunch of flashbacks to when other more famous Star Wars characters have visited the Halcyon. In the most recent, this final issue number five, Bosk himself is gracing the cover of Halcyon Legacy number five. I was excited when I walked into my local comic shop called House of Secrets here in Burbank, California. Highly recommended. And I saw Bosk right there on the comic rack. So uh, pick up Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Halcyon Legacy by Ethan Sachs and Will Sliney. It's a fun time, especially if you're into the Galactic Star Cruiser experience and all the uh, interconnected nature of the Star Wars universe. Uh, We got some High Republic reveals. So we're kind of between phases of the High Republic right now. Phase one ended back in the spring, and phase two is going to begin this fall. So we're in a little bit of a hiatus, but there was a new episode of the High Republic show on the official Star Wars YouTube channel where they revealed some new character concept art and new covers for the books that are coming, for the comics, I believe, that are coming out in the fall. I can't wait to get more The High Republic. I'm really into that series, and I got on board right away with that. So, uh, you know, it feels very close to me to be uh, involved, having interviewed the authors and stuff, uh, to be involved uh, with the, you know, the publicity blitz of The the High Republic, the marketing and um, the, the journalism side of things. So I can't wait to read more High Republic and review more High Republic stuff in the fall on laughingplace.com. Lastly, speaking of Laughing Place, you can go to the Laughing Place YouTube channel and watch uh, the beginning of a new video series that I started where I'm going to be doing kind of in-depth tours of all the different areas of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I started out, you know, at Disneyland down there uh, on Friday. I recorded this last week. And I started out in the Marketplace area and just kind of went through all the different shops there, checked out the merchandise that's currently available, tried to look for most of the Easter eggs that I could find, um, and then uh, ended up, you know, went through, you know, the creature stall, Toydarian, Toymaker, Black Spire Outfitters, uh, the uh, Jewels of Bith, uh, what's it called, uh, Katseka's Kettle, and then wrapped up at Ronto Roasters. And I think the next video in this series is probably going to be Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities. So I'll I'll dive into my old haunt of Doc Ondar's and uh, try to point out as many, you know, cool Easter eggs and merchandise as I can. And again, you can find those videos starting, you know, it already started, put up the first one this past Monday on the Laughing Place YouTube channel. Okay, that's going to bring us to my interview with author Beth Revis. Like I said, I was very excited to speak with her. So a funny story about my interview with Beth Revis. Uh, We actually start, it kind of had a false start with this interview because we had this scheduled for uh, this past Wednesday in the evening and partway through the interview, Beth had her power go out due to a lightning storm or thunderstorm where, where she lives. And um, it also kind of fried the part of the interview that we had done already. Um, so we thankfully Beth was able to reschedule and I was able to reschedule with her and we Recorded again from the top. So if you hear us referencing kind of doing things over again, um, that's why we're talking about that. But I want to really thank Beth for 
making some time to do this interview with me twice. So that was very awesome of her. It's about a 25-minute interview. Uh, quite enjoyed the novel, Star Wars, The Princess and the Scoundrel. Here we go. So I am speaking with author Beth Revis again, the author, the writer who has given us the new novel, Star Wars, The Princess and the Scoundrel. Beth, thank you so much for chatting with me once more. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So I'm going to start where I always start once again, and that's to ask you uh, what your relationship was like with Star Wars growing up. Uh, I, I believe that you were a fan. I was very much a fan. Um, I definitely grew up on these movies. Uh, they came out on television when I was a kid, and my mom taped them on VHS. And I just remember watching them over and over with my brother. We literally wore those tapes out. They no longer function. Even if we had a VCR, they wouldn't function because we wore them out. And I still remember like all the parts where the commercials would interrupt the Battle of Endor and things like that. And it, it really was just very much a part of my childhood. And it helped that I had a brother named Luke. And yeah. um, we would have, we painted PVC pipes, red and blue and green, and would beat each other in the forest and pretend we were having lightsaber battles. And it was definitely just a huge chunk of my childhood. And clearly it carried all the way through to your adulthood. Was there ever like a gap where you weren't as into Star Wars or has pretty much been constant for you? It's, it's definitely been constant. I was in, uh, I think, high school when the prequel movies came out. And uh, during high school, we were allowed to go off campus for lunch because we lived in a very rural area. And I remember like hiking it to Taco Bell every day to get all the toys that oh, came. Yeah. Ta Taco Bell offered like all the really cool prequel movies. I, I still have the Padme's ship, I think. But That's yeah, right. so I was definitely a nerd throughout. <laughs> yeah, I think. It was either Taco Bell or Burger King, or one of them had all the posters. There's like a poster of the pod race. And oh, all the, I never like, got the poster, so that must be Burger King, because we weren't okay. cool enough for a Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> so take me back to the beginning of your interest in writing as a career. How did you first get uh, intrigued by that possibility, and then how did you actually enter into that field? Oh, I always wanted to be a writer, but it took me a long time to realize that was a possibility to me. It felt like writing was this impossible job that like you had to be born gifted for or something. And I just never thought it was something that I could do until I was in college. And I just started writing a short story and kept going and it turned into a whole book. Um, but it took me a long time to get published. I wrote 10 novels over the course of 10 years all of which were rejected. Um, none of them have ever been published or ever will be published. Huh. Uh, but fortunately for me, the 11th book was Across the Universe, which became my debut. It was my first science fiction book that I had written because I had not really realized that science fiction was a viable option for me. I thought all sci-fi was hard sci-fi. And it actually took my boyfriend, who later became my husband at the time, reminding me that I liked Star Wars and that I liked a lot of science fiction that came out on television, like Star Wars and Star Trek and Firefly, that I realized I could write science fiction that wasn't hard sci-fi and yeah. more of a space opera type. And that was a, the huge changing and turning point in my career. Okay, so you had that the trilogy that you mentioned across the universe. Is that kind of how you got the attention of the folks over there at Lucasfilm Publishing? Would they have noticed the novels that you're putting out already? Is that how you got involved with Star Wars writing? Um, I, I don't, I don't know how they found me, but I am so grateful they did. Um, they they approached my agent for Rebel Rising, and at the time, all I knew was that I was writing um, the Jin Urso character, and I didn't know anything about the story itself. 
And I was able to fly to San Francisco and uh, read the script early. And then I discovered that I was going to be writing the story of Jen's background. And that was just like, I was a kid in a candy box. I was like, there's so much I can do with this. It was so fantastic. So tell me a little bit more about Rebel Rising then. How did you, once you were on board with that project, how did you approach the, how did you bring your own voice to Jen Erso? The, the really cool thing about Jen is that we know her story, but we don't necessarily know her character because even in the movie, she's very closed off. She's had a lot of trauma. She doesn't, she's not very open with herself, with the other characters, with the audience. And so writing her story was really about peeling back the layers of her character and discovering who she is as a person and how she became that way. So it was almost like a backwards mystery where I had to go trace my way through her past to discover what made her become the type of person that she is throughout the entirety of Rogue One. And so it was really a, a discovery story for me. Excellent. So before we move on to anything else, I have to ask you, uh, since we do have this Rogue One prequel series coming out, Star uh -huh. Wars and or, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Are you excited to watch that series? I am so thrilled to watch that series. I I was definitely at like a level 10. I was super excited for it. I love Cassian. I love Mon Mothma. I wanted to see it all. And then the trailer came out with Forrest Whitaker and Saw, and <laughs> my entire brain exploded with joy. I cannot wait to see what he brings to this story. Awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited yeah. for that as well. Okay, so you also <laughs> got to contribute two short stories to the From a Certain Point of View anthology uh, collections. Uh, the first mm -hmm. was for the original Star Wars film. Obviously, then you did The Empire Strikes Back. So tell me a little bit about those stories, uh, why you chose the characters you did, and uh, how you approached the situations that you wrote about for those books. Oh, yeah. So in uh, the first one, from uh, the story is fully operational. And I wrote the story from Tag's point of view. And really for me, it takes place in the the sort of boardroom on the Death Star with Vader, when Vader walks in. And this is the first time the audience really sees Vader's power and how he uses the force to choke someone else. And for me, it was all about that empty chair that was in that room. And I really loved the idea of playing with that and tapping in some of what we knew now from Rogue One, but that we didn't know when a new hope came out. And so that was a really fun experience was to really just sort of seed in some of those extra details from Rogue One that lead into a new hope. But I really also had a great time writing the other short story uh, for the last time because it's, it's Piet's story. And it's when we first see Darth Vader as an audience member. It's when we first see Darth Vader without his mask. And mm -hmm. then obviously it's, it's Piet's first time seeing Darth Vader without his mask. And that sort of combination of vulnerability but also raw power behind his scars was such a fun thing to explore but my my real overall goal with both of those stories is to show that the villains are more nuanced they're not necessarily a man in a dark cape just being evil for evil's sake like there's evil and apathy and there's evil and bureaucracy and there's evil and all these little lawful sort of ways that they do it and that's really what i wanted to dig into with those stories yeah uh i definitely enjoyed those stories i'm looking forward to the third entry in the series the return of the jedi one probably <laughs> due out next year and i know that you probably can't say uh whether or not you've been invited back they haven't uh announced the author list for that book yet but just real quick if you if i had to like lightning round ask you to choose a character from return <laughs> of the jedi uh to write about who would it be 
Um, if I could, I would love to write about Mon Mothma and perhaps lead into some things with the princess and the scoundrel, because that book takes place like immediately after Return of the Jedi. So if I could maybe put that in Mon's point of view and have a few little scenes that happen from that book, but from her point of view, that would be really fun. Great. Okay, let's get into Star Wars, The Princess and the Scoundrel. A lot of people mm -hmm. have been talking about this book since it got announced. Uh, I personally know a, a number of Star Wars fans who are excited to read about Han, Han Leia's wedding again, and then the honeymoon, of course, and then, of course, yes. the tie-in with Galactic Star Cruiser. So how did this novel come about for you? I, it was really interesting when I compare uh, The Princess and the Scoundrel and Rebel Rising, because Rebel Rising was really a story where I knew the plot. I knew what happened. Like, we all know the story of Star Wars and the Death Star and everything. I knew the plot, but I didn't know the character. And it was the exact opposite experience with The Princess and the Scoundrel. I know these characters. I know Han. I know Leia. But this was a story where I got to kind of make up a plot with characters that I knew very deeply. So it was a totally flipped experience from Rebel Rising, but also just so much fun to try to bring in a new adventure for these characters that I know and love so much, and also really dive into their internal thought processes. Because in a movie, we can see them acting and we can see them like having the adventure, but we don't always know what they're thinking. And so most of my research with The Princess and the Scoundrel was watching the movies over and over and over again, which was honestly the best research I could ever do and like I love my job but watching those movies and then trying to figure out what they're thinking behind the words that they're saying and the actions that they're doing and then drawing that forward into the story I really felt like you captured the voices of those characters so well so that uh research definitely paid off for you oh, <laughs> um, and then I I asked you yesterday and I got to ask you again <laughs> And you probably uh -huh. won't have to think about it as hard. But uh, what what, you, what ended up being your favorite scene when, when you went back and rewatched the original trilogy? What was your favorite Han and Leia scene? It's still a hard question because there really are so many favorite <laughs> right. scenes. And my favorite changes constantly. Um, but I'm going to stick with the answer that I gave last time. And it's I really love the scene um, on Bespin when Leia is kind of freaking out. She can tell something's wrong with Lando. She knows that the situation isn't right. And she's frustrated at Han because he's kind of blowing her off or it seems that way. And then he gives her that very sweet kiss on the forehead. And, and you see that he really understands her and is taking into account everything she's saying. And he's just dealing with it in his own way. And to me, that, that is the moment when their relationship shifted from flirty to more serious and more emotional based. So that sweet kiss on Bespin, but there's so many good moments. <laughs> Totally agreed. Um, so like I mentioned, you did get to kind of retell the story of Han and Leia's wedding for the current Star Wars canon. There was a novel written in the Legends timeline called The Courtship of Princess Leia by mm -hmm. Dave Wolverton. And I was just curious about your thoughts on that book. If you had ever read it before, if you if you went back and revisited before you uh, wrote this novel or if you wanted to avoid it to kind of uh, make it kind of make it your own. I, I definitely read it a long, long time ago, but I consciously chose not to revisit it because I, I, 
very sincerely believe that we're lucky in the Star Wars fandom that we have so many alternatives and so many mm. stories. It's kind of like the metaverse. Um, but I like to think of it like Hagunjin, where he says your focus determines your reality. Right. And you can have a reality where you have Mara Jade and where you have all the legend stories and you can have a reality where you follow the canon and you stick very strictly to that. Or you can have a reality that blends the two. But in the Star Wars fandom, we get the options and we get to choose what what stories we want to live in. And I'm just really lucky that I got to add a story. That's amazing that you said that because I, I totally 100% agree. My mantra used to be Star Wars canon and was is whatever you want it to be. Um, <laughs> so, you, you know, you can go back and play the Knights of the Old Republic games. You could read the Darth yeah. Bane novels. You could read the Legends uh, stuff after Return of the Jedi and mm -hmm. revisit those stories don't go away just because new stories are being written in the same time periods or whatever yeah. so yeah totally agree with that uh, outlook and um, always uh, enjoy when new stuff gets contributed like your your current novel um, so speaking of the voices of Han and Leia like I mentioned earlier uh, mm -hmm. you said you did a lot of research for, for Han and Leia but you also got to write some other familiar characters, you know, Lando and Luke pop up in this book. Um, there are some characters from Galactic Star Cruiser that pop up. Tell me a little bit about writing for pre-existing characters versus um, creating creating some of your own, which you actually did in this book as well. Yeah, uh, well, with Han and Leia, I, I have a little bit of a, a cheat code because my husband's also a huge Star Wars fan. So whenever I was writing their, especially their banter and their back and forth, I would actually read those lines out loud and pretend to be Leia and have him be Han. <laughs> it, it worked really. There were a couple times when like he would say, it and I was like, "No, that's not right," and I could change it and kind of mold our voices. Um, so Han and Leia's part, the bantering was the most fun to write because I wrote it basically with my husband as a sounding board. Um, the other characters, some of them were easier than others. I actually found uh, Luke's voice to be the hardest to write hmm. because I had a brother named Luke. Right. And I mean, I know that Luke and Leia are just, they're newly realized that they're siblings. And so they don't have, you know, the kind of hatred, like, oh my God, brother kind of attitude. <laughs> so it was hard for me not to, kind of insert my own Luke into the attitude of Luke Skywalker. So that was that one I had to keep restraining myself on and like remind myself, no, this is not my brother Luke. It's the other Luke. Um, <laughs> and then Lando, Lando was so much fun to write too, because I just imagine that he is always incredibly frustrated that the respectable duo of Han and Chewie is the respectable one is Chewie. And he always wants Han to like clean up more. And so it was just really fun to play with that. I have to ask, since you said you guys were kind of acting out the roles of Han and Leia, were you were you doing the voices? Um, so he would try, but he's really bad at it. Okay. <laughs> and so, every once in a while, he would try to get that like gravelly Han voice going, but it, it, I eventually would just like throw something at him. And say, just read the line. I'm sure you've heard Mark Hamill's impression of Harrison Ford. Right? <laughs> yes. Okay, we got to get into the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser because this uh, became a big point of discussion after the Princess and the Scoundrel uh, was announced and we found out that Han and Leia were going to have their honeymoon aboard the Halcyon. So uh, mm -hmm. I guess my question to you is, you know, how did you how did that first come about for you? How did you first find out that that was the way it was going to go? And then once you found out or decided, 
uh, how did you go about doing research for the Galactic Star Cruiser aspect of this novel? Uh, well, the plan was always from the start was that that would be okay. part of the honeymoon. Um, but the tricky part was also fitting that into the timeline and then also making it be even more expansive than it is when you actually go there. So what I right. did was uh, looked at all the pictures I could. I, if you have been to the Galactic Star Cruiser and posted anything online about it, I have probably read it because I was scouring the internet for every little hidden detail and every every aspect of it so that I could get the feeling of it right. But then what I really enjoyed doing was imagining the parts of the ship that are real to Han and Leia, but that guests don't always get to go to. And so if you ever go there, there's, there's gonna be signs on the door like crew access only. Well, Han would not care if something right. was crew access only. <laughs> and he would just push right through. And so I got to kind of use my imagination as to what else was on the ship and what made it a real ship in a way that I hope will make, if you read the book and then have the experience, I hope it will enhance it and make you like kind of smile at that sign that says crew access only and know that Han deliberately went back there and uh, and what he did back there. So I, I tried to just make it bigger than it was, which is kind of a difficult thing to do because it's already so huge, right. um, but make it more real is, was my goal. So I take from your response that you haven't been to the Galactic Star Cruise yet. Is that right? No, I haven't yet. Maybe one it, day. Is that something that you would want to do? <laughs> if I had a ticket, I would be on a plane right now. I would okay. hang up this call and just run out the door. <laughs> so uh, as a follow-up to that, then, um, I got to interview Lucasfilm Story Group member Matt Martin down at the mm -hmm. launch of the Galactic Star Cruiser uh, about a number of things, including the tie-in, you know, the literature side, the um, publishing side of the tie-in uh, material. So tell me a little bit about your working relationship with the Lucasfilm Story Group and maybe Matt in particular, if he was the one helping you with the details of the Halcyon and the Galactic Star Cruiser. Yeah, Matt read several drafts and, and all the details, especially about the Star Cruiser, and he was an enormous help um, because, and as I was writing, it wasn't even open to the public as I was writing it, and so there would be details because, you know, as a writer, I want to add in all the little details of everything, and I very distinctly remember um, describing the engine room and I described Han's boots walking across like the, the sound of the boots echoing on tile because I just assumed a tile floor. And Matt, Matt knew like immediately he had that level of detail. He's like, nope, that's not the type of floor it was. And he was able to like show me exactly the type of floor. And so it was that sort of level of detail and creativity and Matt's organizing brain that kept everything very, very consistent. Neat. Uh, I think yeah. I was the first person to ever tweet out a photo of Han and Leia's initials from the engineering room. <laughs> so, uh, we have that, that connection. The one that Matt ended up retweeting? Yeah, this is back yeah, at, I at the end of March. A lot. <laughs> okay, great. I did um, screenshots of that and was like analyzing like how deep the letters were and how big they were based on that picture. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it was so neat. It was so great to be able, you know, having found that I, a crew member actually pointed it out to us because we knew they were there somewhere. We were hunting for them all throughout the engineering room. <laughs> then we finally found them and I tweeted that out. And then, um, you know, months later, I'm reading your novel and I find out exactly how they got there. And I'm like, oh, I got to be in that physical space. Oh, it's such a neat way to 
keep that interconnected nature of Star Wars going. Yeah. So uh, congratulations on that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for the picture. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Uh, okay, let's talk about um, kind of the final third of this book. The last like 150 pages are set mm -hmm. on an ice moon called Matters. Is that how you pronounce it? Matters. M Matters. Okay. M-A-D-U-R-S. Tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about uh, where this location came from for you creatively and um, how you went about fleshing out its environments and inhabitants. Yeah. So I, there, you know, when it comes to Star Wars planets, a lot of them become known for their type of climate, like Hoth is the ice planet and Endor is the forest moon and, and things like that. And for me, I wanted to deal with Hoth in part because of the coldness of it, but also because Han is frozen in carbonite. Right. So that coldness of being frozen and also the coldness of Hoth were things I wanted to play with, but I wanted to turn it into a really beautiful world that was different and stood on its own. And so that's where the moon of matters came from, um, named for my two favorite science fiction authors, Madeline Langle and Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I had to sneak my little sci-fi nerdiness that. in there. Um, it's also in the Lenguin system, so I, I brought both their names in on that okay. one. Um, but yeah, so that's where the world came from, was this this way to play on Hoth and carbonite freezing, but also bring in like our art and beauty and how this harsh world can be a beautiful thing. Um, and then from there, it, I was able to make the characters um, fit. I don't want to spoil who who's in there, but if you... Like some of the juvenilia stories that have come out, um, you might recognize a character from one of those. And uh, then inventing a few characters of my own to to sort of flesh out the world. That's great. Um, and then there's uh, this, I, again, I don't want to spoil too much either, but <laughs> yeah. um, one of the main kind of uh, outputs from this planet is art. Yes. Um, to, I don't want to say too much about that, but tell me about how you arrived at that decision. Oh, that, that sort of just evolved organically because I wanted to make a, I was trying to balance, you know, the harshness of an ice world with something beautiful. And then at first it became the architecture because they build these ice palaces as part of their city. And then, and then I was like, well, characters who will make their um, habitations beautiful would also have a great value for art in general and this whole storyline about art as a form of rebellion sort of spun out from this idea of this harsh world became something they found beauty in and that became something they found art in and that became the basis of their rebellion yeah that was one of my my favorite aspects of the book and um, I, I'm also impressed at how you know uh, obviously there's only a limited number of like biomes that you can choose yeah. to make a star wars planet so you did you did ice but you made it feel unique unto itself so um good job great job with Thank that you. um okay so lastly uh in general what do you hope that han and leia fans not to mention star wars fans as a whole get out of this novel the princess and the scoundrel it's i always think of star wars um in in terms of the word hope and i know that leia turned turned that word almost into a meme but star wars to me has always been about hope and it's hard to write about a love story that we know exactly what happens in the end thanks to the sequel trilogy we know what's going to happen so hope is not necessarily the right word that will exist for this and instead i i hope that han and leia fans and star wars fans in general take from this the idea of joy and that there's joy in the moment and you don't all like there's hope of course but there's also times for joy and just 
being happy in the moment and being in love in the moment and relishing each moment that you have without worrying too much about what's going to happen in the end. And that you can just exist in the moment of joy and relish it as it comes. Terrific. I think that's a, a perfect place to wrap up. I want to thank you again for, for coming back and, and uh, redoing this. <laughs> thank um, you. Sorry, my storm knocked it out. <laughs> no, it's no problem. Um, you know, we had kind of a, a, a first take, you know, and we got to yes. <laughs> come back and, and do it better the second time. So uh, thank you again to Beth Revis. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And that's my interview with Beth Revis. Please go out and purchase Star Wars, The Princess and the Scoundrel, coming out Tuesday, August 16th. A really fun novel that takes place just after the events of Return of the Jedi. You get to see Han and Leia's wedding, like we mentioned. You get to see their honeymoon aboard the Halcyon. And you get to see this uh, whole new adventure set in the, the period right at the very beginning, right, you know, right on that border between the end of the Empire and the beginning of the New Republic. It's not quite up to, you know, where the Battle of Jakku happens and the Empire flees into the unknown reaches. So this is set before that. But, um, you know, they are trying to form the New Republic. And um, that's that's a big part of this novel as well. So please go out and enjoy that book. That's going to bring us to our final segment of Who's the Bosk. It's called First Steps into a Larger World. And I just really quickly want to talk about the movie Nope by Jordan Peele. I'm a big fan of Jordan Peele's comedy, and I'm also a big fan of his uh, horror movies. He's made three of them, now really enjoyed Get Out, uh, Us Like Haunted Me, and my wife won't even watch it again. She's terrified of it. I, I find myself drawn to that movie. Um, and, and Love Us is probably my favorite, and I also really liked Nope, the new one. I would say it's probably my least favorite of his three horror films, but I still really, really liked it, and I can't wait to watch it again whenever it comes out on Blu-ray. I'll probably buy it just as I bought the other two, uh, and, you know, I won't spoil anything about it. These are the kind of movies that you kind of want to go in fresh, knowing very little about it, but it's got a very clever premise it plays out really well and it's similarly haunting in a lot of ways a lot of imagery in here that you won't be able to shake uh sort of disturbing in a way and and a lot of fun and a lot and very funny too because uh, you know he comes from comedy roots obviously he likes sort of twilight zone style storytelling as well and that combines to make a really entertaining film here as it did in the other two so that's nope playing right now theatrically, and that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Who's the Bosk? My name is Mike Celestino. Please visit LaughingPlace.com for all your Disney news and opinions. Next week, I believe we're going to go right back to talking about the Disney-era Star Wars films with Ryan Johnson's Star Wars The Last Jedi. Until then, thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye! Boring conversation anyway.